obviously that's, that's one of my favorites. Well, Black and Dog so is... BD is one of my favorites, you know. <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of good uses for BD. Anyway, um, yeah, the candles are lit. That's nice, and we got the stripes coming in from the blazing hot uh, enemy. But you know, happy to have you around. Just to, you know, yeah, you better say stay that. Stay out of our space <laughs> as much as you can. You have to understand, some of us are not as attuned to your vibes as others. You know what I'm saying? I do know I what you're saying. Okay. Hey, Diane. Yes. It's Saturday, August the 10.07 a.m. <laughs> it's 10.07 a.m. Saturday, August the 6th, 2022. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the It's another celebratory Saturday. Is it Saturday already? Oh, yeah, it's, it's Saturday, man. Sorry, we wouldn't be doing this, if, doing this if it wasn't Saturday. Yeah. Life yeah. is trundling right along. It is trundling. <laughs> yes, trundling is good. I got myself a cup of coffee here, and I'm going to take me a sip. Because it's not like stomping. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not ah, like shuffling like Tim Conway on the Carol Burnett show. No. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is trundling. <laughs> But uh, I'm happy to be here. How about you? Very happy to be here. What the heck's going on? It's been a, it's been a, what's it been? It's, well, it's been a tumbling week here in Lake Abundance. Trundling week here in Lake Abundance. Over to you, Diane. I started a new job this week. You did? Wait a minute. You mean you're finally going to be bringing some money in? <laughs> yes. Because, <laughs> you know. You know, um, because Henry had given us the definition of retirement, you know, uh, that yes. you just... You, you stop working, and then you live on a fixed income, or live off your savings, and uh, I guess you just party? Yeah. There's another aspect of retirement that comes in, which is that you can do a job just for the love of it. Mm. And that... And the fact that I could get an education for the love of it and doing everything because of the love of it, that is a total turn of the corner for me. And I mean, I loved my job at the U, don't get me wrong, but it was was very pressing, very stressful, uh, commanded and then, you know, far more than an eight hour day. Mm -hmm. Um, So my whole life revolved around that job. And now I have taken a job for two days a week with our naturopath, uh, our naturopath's office, where Bill has already been working for five years. Yes. Five years, right? Uh, somewhere somewhere in there. Somewhere, somewhere in that neighborhood. And these are two naturopaths. That's the, it just, it's a very small practice. I love these women. I've, uh, of course, the naturopath I have known for decades. Um, I've known her better than the other uh, doctor, but now I have gotten a chance to work around them, and and 
I was a little nervous. Well, I wouldn't just say nervous. Nervous no, is not want, the you, word. You want to do a good job. I want to do a good job yeah. right away, right. you know, like out yeah. of the gate. And there's a lot to learn. It's not overwhelming by any means. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, they're giving it to me piecemeal, which is really good. But the first day I was feeling, um, uh, well, just butterflies. Not nervousness, but a little butterflies. A certain certain amount of whelmed. Yeah, whelmed. I haven't, for a while, had to learn something completely from scratch, uh, a job. Because even though there were various things I did at the university, it was always layering something on something I already knew. So I always felt confident, even when I would start a new job at the university, but I always felt butterflies, you know. But I felt a lot more confident that I could get it because I had um, some foundation. Right. But with this, I re- I've never worked in a small office in my life. I've, ne- I've only worked for corporations of some sort because the university in itself is a bit of a corporation. Yeah. Um, it's a large I like employer. your description of it as a small city. Yeah, it's a small city, yeah, really and is. it's a municipality. And I'm outside. Almost. I'm outside the city walls now, and yes. I'm in a little, a small business. And what I had not anticipated is how excited I would be by just the the things that I might be able to do to help a little. Yeah. I don't know everything yet, but just some physical things that I I started. Waking up in the middle of the night, <coughs> not out of uh, anxiety of, oh my God, I've done something wrong, but more out of anticipation of, you know what would really help is if we did this, and I'm just really jazzed about it. Well, yeah, you're having a storm of good ideas is, is uh, how I would describe it. But I, I wanted to say that this is the, this, when I was given this job or asked to take this job, I thought... What a great way to express my gratitude to these people. Yes. You know? So that's been kind of the foundational piece for me in this job, which is unlike any job I've ever had before. I do it because I want these people to succeed. Not, I mean, I want these people to not have to worry about this part of it. Yeah. You know, something that you can do so that they don't have to think about it. And uh, that just seemed like a great way to, in some way, say thank you to them for what they've done for me so i've never wanted to make a lot of money there and and or anything like that i've just wanted to be able to be helpful and the only reason that i haven't done it more than i've been doing it the last few years is that i just physically couldn't anymore right and uh, so but you have to understand how having you there for two days so far has changed the atmosphere of that job Really? It's going to give both of those doctors a lot more confidence to just do what they do, stay in in what they can do, and not have to worry about the front end. And that's because of you, not because of me. And they, I have told them, I said, when Diane comes in here, she's going to be the mover and the shaker. I'm going to be taking direction from her. Just understand that, you know. Um, and they got it. I mean, they knew it already. Because they know you, you know, or they know, uh, Cynthia knows you and, and Lindsay knows of you. And uh, so it was, I have not seen either of them as excited. I mean, <laughs> Lindsay was like, 
Will she sign a piece of paper? Can we get her to sign a piece of paper? <laughs> you know, because she just couldn't believe that this was actually going to happen. Because they've had a series of, of very young people who, whatever their level of, of in good intentions are, simply don't know how to f- pull in all that information and make it work. And uh, and it's in, and Lindsay trained the last couple of people exactly the way she's training you, and uh, they just know you're going to get it. And you know when I walked in there on Wednesday, and Cynthia came in, and she was just standing there looking at the desk area. And saying, isn't this great how clean it is? And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. You had told me that you'd straightened up a little bit, but, you know. So, I mean, I noticed how clean it was when I came in, too. But I didn't even, you know, for me, because of the kind of person I am, I didn't know it was dirty. I didn't know. Because my attention is always in doing the job that I was trained to do, right? But now you get to come in and retrain me on how to do the job better and more efficiently and i'm like well this is you know this is the beginning of a of an excellent phase for positive touch medicine so because i don't know that sarah was that good but sarah was the person who trained me and sarah was was an operator she knew what she was doing but when she trained me it was like i you know it's like she poured a bucket over my head you know it was like because uh, Cynthia and and Alexander, when they were over for dinner the night they offered me the job, it was just, well, you just you answer the phone and you're nice to the people when they come in. You take you make set appointments, and that's really about all there is, you know. Not, not so. Not so. Not so. As you will probably already know. I already. Yeah. Know. But that's, uh, it's interesting about administrative work in general. Yeah. That a lot of times people don't know what goes into into the processes. They just know that they need them, you know. So, yeah. but it's interesting that this is like a total new beginning for me because my very first job in the corporate setup was as a receptionist. That yeah. was a, at a law firm. Right. And I... Loved being a receptionist, although at the law firm there wasn't enough to keep you busy, right. so the time dragged. I don't think that'll ever happen with this job. But one of the things that I really have missed in the last five years since uh, I moved over to the shared services office. shared services unit is contact with people. That has always been one of the things I loved about my job before when I was in the Department of Pharmacology and I haven't had it for for the last... I mean, I had had, uh, situations where I was dealing with departments and people, but not... It was not the initiation of the the issue that was having to be resolved. I was entering midstream and trying to, to kick the ball a little further towards the goal and right. I don't know I don't like being that mid person I want to be the the person who does it all you know right. but the other thing is that I realized that and one of the reasons why I took the job a lot of times people think I want to retire when really what they want is a change and uh, the thing that I love about retiring is when you retire and you have a pension and you don't have to have the money be the issue. Then you can just think about what do I want to participate in? How much time do I want to devote to that? And 
and I've had a passion for uh, the naturopathic method for a long time. And I actually think I've convinced a few people about uh, exploring that just from my experiences. So this is a debt of gratitude I'm paying not mm. only to this practice, which was part of my healing process after my accident by by the, by the um, but for the whole alternative method of healing mm-hmm. um, so it's an area of passion of mine I have never experienced just working two days a week in my life that is quite a it's a lovely schedule mm-hmm. to work two days a week it is it really is <laughs> you know to it's just the flip. You know, I used to work five, well, I've worked more than five days a week, but five days a week, two days off, and now it's two days on, five days off. It's, right. it's quite lovely. It is nice. It is nice. I have found it to be an ideal situation, and it's made more ideal by the fact that I will not be, um, and, you know, by virtue of generational separation, I have felt almost in an adversarial partnership with the other person yeah for a while and not because they're bad people or that they didn't you know but it's just there was no no place to connect really right. and except around the tasks of the job you know and stuff like that so I never felt like I had a partner there uh, and now I know I have a, I, I know that I can assume the place that I've always wanted to assume which is the junior partner at this practice so that you have made my job much more pleasant that's not going to change it in any way or make it any easier but it is going to uh, make me feel like I've got you know it's all one boat that's floating you know and that and we're rowing yeah and the crew the is same the, direction. the crew is is unified by you in the same way that you coming into my family has been a unifying force you know because people circle around you. People will come to my mom's house for Thanksgiving dinner because they know you're going to be there. <laughs> no. That's the truth. I don't care. But, I mean, the fact that you are part of that circle now makes everybody happier. So, And the same thing is happening at Positive Touch. Those two women are happier than I have seen them in a long time uh, because they, have, they know that within the next month they're going to have a lot less to have to worry about than they've had before because they've got a professional in there finally who does organization as an art form and so they don't have to worry about the front end being all you know out of phase and and falling apart the way it's kind of partly been for a while so obviously this was a big thing of the week and then the next thing man what's who's blowing up your phone i don't know uh, some sort of spam thing. Oh, cool. I, ask if they can send some potatoes, too, and maybe a few onions just so that we can fry up some potatoes. Yeah, exactly. onions with the spam. Um, you had a really wonderful poetry break. Uh, one of the things that I really liked was that you brought in Gary Snyder uh, because of something that had happened to me earlier in the week, which was that I was listening to a podcast about um, about botanical medicine because that's another reason why this is all in, li- in alignment with my, my retirement plan. 
I'm really interested in learning more about uh, medicinal plants, both from the standpoint of maybe ingesting them more in our our uh, salads our and yeah. 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 So I've been uh, I have a few online courses that I've been doing, and I'd also been revisiting this marvelous book called The Herbal Lore of Wise Women and Wartcomers. Wartcunners. Cunners, yeah, wartcunners. And I just love even the beginning of the book because, um, and that was why I bought it. You should show that book to Cynthia. Yeah. Well, it's and its subtitle is The Healing Power of Medicinal Plants. Yeah. But I actually bought this book mainly because of the title, because I thought, wow, wart cunners, what the heck is that? And I just loved that it talks about the etymology of the the words that they're using. Oh, that's cool. So it said, To the Anglo-Saxons of the days of yore, the wise women and wizards who knew the virtues of plants were known as wart cunners. Wart means root, herb, or spice, and cunning from the Middle English cunnin means to know. The name, names St. John's wart, fig wart, mother wart, money wart, and wormwood, actually worm wart, plainly attest to the fact that the herbs were generally called warts in common English. Mm-hmm. The concept of wart cunning is not readily translated into botany, pharmacognosy, or herbalism. Scientific botany did not yet exist. A root was by no means just a tuber, rhizome, or subterranean appendage of the plant. A root was the place where the gnomes dwelled, where hidden, unperceived things generated and took form until they burst into the visible world of appearance. Roots belonged to the zone of the deep, dark, and mysterious, to the other side of being, to essence, to origin, not to the side of phenomena. A root knower, wart cunner, is a seer. He or she knows the root of the illness that strikes a human being down and knows the root of the cure, the wart, which unfolds as secretly in the dark as the very malaise it will heal. And so then he uh, he goes on to talk about one of my favorite uh, mythologies, which is uh, about the Norns. Yeah. Uh, so he's, he's giving all sorts of uh, origins of the words, but uh, but he talks about the the wonderful cosmic tree Yggdrasil and the three goddesses that sit and spin out the fate of the universe. And as soon as I had read a few pages, and I thought, oh, this is marvelous. But it's basically giving a history of how the medical models came into being. Yeah. What what happened? Um, and even I'll just read you the first sentence of the, the medical models section, which is, the medical profession as it exists today consists not so much of healers as of priests of a powerful church who sanction our way of life from cradle to grave. They are the white-robed clergy who have been initiated after long and difficult rituals in medical colleges where the finesse of their worldview has been instilled into them and where they learned a Greco-Latin litany that ordinary mortals do not understand. So it 
it's just a marvelous book. And yeah. that is one of the reasons why I wanted to follow this pursuit as one of the things after retirement, because I feel like we've been so separated from the natural world and even watching. In fact, the reason why I brought this out again was because of watching that series that we spoke of last week. Uh, how to change your mind. How to change your mind. Yeah. I was reaching into my mind to find out <clears throat> yes. what that series was called. But your mind had changed since then. But because it all was from plants, right. you know, and the wart hunters of those plants would know and know how to ritualize and do the things that they needed to do to and use administer it so that it would be have the right. best effect. Yeah. So anyway, I I had been reading all this, so I listened to a podcast that I I thought there must be some podcasts about medicinal herbs. And I found this one, and I'm not sure that it's really that uh, much up my alley, but the person that the woman on the podcast was interviewing was a woman who lives in the Puget Sound. And she is from, uh, not in the Puget Sound, in the Puget Sound area. Yes. Um nation. I think she's actually on Lopez Island, yeah. if I've done my research correctly. But this woman is originally from Finland. And in Finland, uh, she had much of their mythology that, that had affected her. She is an herbalist herself and uh, had moved to the Northwest because of marriage and she was trying to think of a, a title for her website and she decided upon the woman who married the bear and the reason why she chose that was because in the Norse mythology uh, there there's a story of a woman who married a bear and that the Finnish um, culture had these people that believe that they were of the clan of the bear that they right. actually were half bear right. from that um that marriage from that marriage yeah. and she believed that she was of that clan and so when i was listening to it i thought that's so amazing because i've always thought that the bear was my guiding spirit animal right. and uh so i've uh, so i uh, instantly associated with that myth but then she said the interesting thing was to move to the Northwest and find that the same mythology existed in the area that she was in from the indigenous people of that area. Yeah. So she was thinking, wow, this is amazing that this mythology... Joseph Campbell would be very happy. Yes, he would. Joseph Campbell would definitely be very happy yeah. with that. And probably he might have even written about it for probably. all I know. Nonetheless, so I told you this story, and I, uh, I thought it was just fascinating. And you, I immediately thought of Gary Snyder. And you thought of Gary Snyder. Because he's got several poems where he mentions the woman who married the bear. Yeah. Gave birth to slick jar children. Yeah, and I don't know why, but the whole poetry break was uh, quite interesting to me just from the things that rise up during a week. 
that cause you to think of a certain uh, poetry. Well, I have to say, um, the reason that I have been re-immersing myself in Gary Snyder is because I had found this uh, video on YouTube that was a tribute to Gary Snyder. And I thought, oh, this would be interesting to watch. And I found out that it was from the Library of America, who last week published the collected poems of Gary Snyder, the first comprehensive scholarly, you know, edition of his complete poetical works. And that, to me, is because Gary Snyder is 91 years old. He's the, he was born the same year as my dad. And uh, I was introduced to his poetry in January of 1978, uh, a, a Jan term class called Literature of the Northwest, and we had Gary Snyder's Turtle Island, and it was Gary Snyder's book, Turtle Island, that woke my head up about contemporary poetry, about the fact that it was as current as right now. You know, I always, you're taught poetry as something that used to be, or something, some kind of uh, old style of expression right. and stuff like that that people don't really do much anymore because it's been so marginalized in our culture. And um, that was the moment that woke me up. And, it, you know, we also had William Stafford and Richard Hugo and uh, um, different Denise Lebertov was in there and um, other poets from the area, Theodore Redke. Um, but it was Gary Snyder that woke me up. That really made me. Th I started writing like Gary Snyder immediately. I can see it in my notebooks, and uh, he's just been with me ever since. And I have every book he's published already. But I knew as when I saw this video, I had to have this book, so I ordered it. And the day that it was came out, I got my copy of it, and and it is it's it's the closest thing to a Bible I have ever gotten in the world of poetry that I have been immersing myself in to a new level in the last couple of years, you know. And, you know, I sit up there at my writing desk and it's just like, it, the room is like humming, you know. <laughs> it is. It's just that there's so much good art that surrounds me when I'm I sitting know. there. That I just, I just sit there and I just feel like I'm being, you know, carried somehow. And the synchronicities now, of uh, all of that, the <clears throat> synchronicities that you just got that Gary Snyder book and right. that that myth came up and yeah. that was such a That's wonderful That's from his book poem. Myths and Texts, which was his second published book. And, you know, the thing is that Gary Snyder, when he published Rip Rap in 1959, I believe, or maybe earlier, might have been 57, it, it wasn't Rip Rap and Cold Mountain Poems. It was a small press edition, and it was just called Rip Rap. I've never seen a copy of it, but a lot of the people on this tribute have copies of it because they've been aware of Snyder for that long. And um, that he was fully formed right out of the chute. I mean, I, in this collected poem, there's a section of about 60 pages of previously unpublished stuff, including the... Smokey the Bear Sutra, which is something that I have heard about for my entire time loving Gary Snyder, but could never read because it didn't exist anywhere except in these little pamphlets and things like that. But that's in there. And a bunch of poems that he wrote while he was at Reed College in Portland. And uh, it's just, he was right out of the chute. He knew exactly what he was doing. And even his immature writings are so detailed and so, you know, 
you can tell that he was, uh, from a very young age, he was steeped in what he loved. So anyway, it's just, it's, it's really nice to have a book in your hands that actually glows, you know, and it really does glow for me. And it's really well done. And, you know, I, usually when I get a collected poems of somebody, it's a big, fat, heavy thing, you know, and I like poetry books in part because you can toss one in your backpack and yeah. it's not going to, it doesn't add 40 pounds to your backpack. I got the collected poems of Jim Harrison. That's got to weigh seven or eight pounds. Wow. You know, but this one is, is lightweight. It's got very thin pages. It's a thousand pages long, but it's not a big fat book and it doesn't weigh too much. And, but it is so well bound and it's on an artisan paper. It is meant to be a lasting thing. The Library of America is a not-for-profit press and this is what they do. So to, be, to even well, have your works collected by the Library of America and published by them is an honor in itself. Uh, it shows that you've done something important. Gary Snyder's definitely done something important. This morning when I was telling you that, um, that I, the thing that really came clear to me about working at uh, Positive Touch Medicine is yeah. that it will be a passion, something that I love, that I'm not... I'm no longer working for commerce. I'm working for that which I love. Yeah. People that I love, things that I love, and you said now you, you've hit the root of where the poetry break comes from, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just Because a we're shift. in a period of our lives where we get to do the things we love. Yeah. And we've, uh, even as we're aware of the, the state of privilege that we are in to be, even be able to do this, you also feel a compulsion. Well, because I've got this opportunity, I'm not. I can't waste it. I'm not going to waste it. I will not waste it. And uh, for me, being able to delve into poetry, which has been part of my life for as long as I can remember, uh, to this level, is really an amazing thing. Because I, I have nothing to teach. I only have stuff to celebrate. Well, and a passion that you can ignite other people's passion because you're passionate about it. Right. I've always thought that the best teachers that oh, I yeah. had oh, yeah. were not because they were really teaching, but that they they basically uh, touched their torch to mine yeah. and, and lit Look it. Look at this. Look at this. Look at exactly. Because I still remember, uh, and I'm sure I've even spoken of this on the, on the show before, um, I had a professor that my brother had told me to take any class that he taught, yeah. Professor Reichstadt at yeah. Pacific Lutheran University. Yeah. And so the very first uh, class I took was, um, it was a literature analysis, like talking about things as in camps of irony, tragedy, comedy, right. that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the text that we had was a textbook that that went way back An anthology, in, yeah. into like the Fairy Queen by Spencer and all that. And when we were first reading some of the the writing, I just thought, oh man, this is just, ugh, <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah. And then Dr. Reichstad who was this small gray man in a gray suit with a voice that cracked. And I, 
I kept thinking, this is the guy my brother wanted me to take. He started reading the poetry aloud mm. and his face lit up. He was just radiant. And all of a sudden the the poetry started making sense to me and I got intrigued and excited. And that to me is what teachers do. Yeah. They they light your enthusiasm. They infect you with their enthusiasm. Right. And, so yeah. I think it's wonderful. Yep. And, you know, we should go on to another uh, person who's An inspiration to an, us. An inspiration to us yes, and that's true. Uh, who's passing on his enthusiasm to us. Yes. Uh, this would be our, our uh, honorary grandson. Our honorary grandson. And aren't we fortunate we that he fortunate. is? We are fortunate, yeah, because, uh, you know, I can see that, you know, my influence has been... <laughs> Pardon me, I'm going to have another drink of coffee. Etched into his genome. You <laughs> boy. By virtue of my... That's good coffee. ...honorary grandfathership. <laughs> no, Henry is a... Henry is a prodigy. A musical prodigy. He's and, a creative whirlwind, A creative man. prodigy, yeah. Because yeah. first we watched him in that uh, Beauty and the Beast Well, we've musical, seen him do, do lots of different things, but uh, this this one was kind of a culmination of things for Henry I think uh, getting to play with other people because Henry has been learning the guitar kind of on his own in the in isolation um, and uh, although he had a teacher that he's had through zoom yeah but he's never met him in Seattle, person yeah from the Seattle, Seattle drum, drum school. school yeah which is a which I know exactly where that is I've seen it a million times well on, it, it used to be on on 15th up around 125th and 15th, but it's not there anymore. It's moved. Oh, has it? Yeah, okay. there's, a, there's an apartment building there now. They tore oh. that building down and put up something new. But they always had this amazing yeah. mural on the yeah. side. That well, it was they made couldn't... the they made the space needle into a symbol, yeah. you know, like a drum symbol, which was I thought was a great logo idea. And uh, yeah, Seattle Drum School. I knew a, there was a guy that I knew of that that, that taught there when I was making phobia robes that I brought in to play percussion on Old Dragon's Passing Over. And his name escapes me now. I knew it the other day when you brought this up. Okay. Anyway. So, yes. Yeah, well, this was school. another crash course type of... Camp. Uh, they do summer camps there. They did the drama camp yeah. and now they did the music camp. So they had five days to learn how many songs? Or did they? Did, was it a requirement how many songs they learned or whatever? I don't know if it was a requirement... But uh, but they were doing five hours a day for five days, and they learned how many songs? Seven? Yeah, they learned seven songs. Mm -hmm. And so. they, they just, uh, I just can't even imagine what it was like. Yeah. Charlotte had posted a, a picture of Henry's hands. <laughs> but, you know, you know what the calluses are like yeah. uh, for, for playing that much. Yep. So he, he had a, a band that he was playing with. Um, they're called Glitter Ghosts. Glitter Ghost. Which I just, it's Good. actually plural, Glitter Ghosts. Oh, Glitter Ghosts, okay. I like that they're Glitter Ghosts. Yeah. And uh, so he was, when he was learning everything, uh, one of the songs that he was concentrating on was the immigrant, oh, not the immigrant, I always want to say the immigrant song, immigrant song. By Led Zeppelin. By Led Zeppelin. And 
it was funny because at the time that uh, I wrote, I was going, oh, Led Zeppelin's a favorite of mine. And, and she was surprised, I think, because we don't play a lot of rock on the Bill and Diane show. But I think it's more mood-wise, although we have had Led Zeppelin on the, the Bill and Diane show before. Yeah. And I think it's just because a lot of times in the morning we're in sort of a more mellow mood. Yeah. And it isn't uh, because there is... Every time I hear songs by Led Zeppelin, I want to move. I mean, they are my energize. If I want to clean the house, if I want to exercise, if I want to dance, they are one of the choices. I mean, this morning, I was listening to one of the songs we're going to have, Black Dog, and I just started spontaneously having to dance. You know, I'm in the kitchen and I start dancing. There isn't a way you can listen to this song. So, you know, just get ready to dance, people, because... You can't listen to the song and sit still, I don't think. But, uh, so I was saying that I have loved Led Zeppelin since uh, my brother brought home the Untitled, I think it was their fourth album, that had so many of these. The the, um, Certainly Black Dog, Rock and Roll, which is another one of my favorites. Um... Battle Forevermore is on there, too. Battle Forevermore is on there. Yeah. Stairway to Heaven, isn't that on there, too? I don't know. I, I don't remember the, what's on what album. I've got I've to check because I think that it's just like this amazing uh, album that was put out in 1971. Yeah. And interestingly, Stairway to Heaven was just so overplayed. And, oh, my God. Uh, and it was the... <laughs> the theme of our senior prom. Senior prom. Yeah. I wonder. You know, I think that everybody had that theme. Had a stairway to heaven theme. And and it was never one of my favorite songs no. by them. I always felt like, uh, I mean, I like it when it's on, but but I far preferred Battle of Evermore, yeah. which was uh, one of our our choices for today and. The thing that is so interesting about the Battle of Evermore is that I loved it because of the mythological themes. And that is one of the things that I thought was amazing about Led Zeppelin is that they were this hard rock band that had mythological themes and good lyrics, like Immigrant Song. I, I felt like... Yeah, immigrant song. I relate to that song because of the very beginning, which is we come from the land of the ice and snow, where the from the midnight sun, where the hot springs flow. That's me. That's yeah. my immigrant story. Right. You know. Um, so and it's all about Valhalla and all that. So I I love that and loved that they concentrated on that sort of thing. But I read a little bit about the Battle of Evermore on uh, because I often am interested enough to read about the. Well, it's, your, it's your wheelhouse. Mythology yeah, wheelhouse. I I like to I like to read about what we're we're doing. Yeah. And I was quite surprised by some of the the things that were noted in the in the Wikipedia about Battle of Evermore. So. This is the first thing that's interesting. The song was written by Jimmy Page and Robert Plant 
at Headley Grange while Page was experimenting on John Paul Jones' mandolin. Page explained in 1977 that Battle of Evermore was made up on the spot by Robert Plant and himself. He says, I just picked up John Paul Jones' mandolin, never having played a mandolin before, and just wrote up the chords and the whole thing in one sitting. So that is the ama the first amazing thing about this song. And of course, they, they say it has allusions to the Lord of the Rings, which is quite evident from the first lines, you know, of the song. But... Uh, they said that Ramble On and Misty Mountain Hop also make references to the Lord of the Rings. But uh, so they said uh, that he felt, Plant felt he needed another voice to tell the story. And for the recording of the song, singer Sandy Denny was invited to duet with Plant. Denny was a former member of the British folk rock group Fairport Convention with whom Led Zeppelin had shared a bill in 1970 at the Bath Festival of Blues and Progressive Music. Now, everybody who listens to our shows knows that we are huge Fairport Convention fans and uh, Richard, Thompson. Richard Thompson, who was part of that band. Plant played the role of the narrator and Denny represented the town crier. Page elaborated that the song sounded like an old English instrumental first off. Then it became a vocal and Robert did his bit. Finally, we figured we'd bring Sandy by and do a question and answer type thing. Uh, so it was interesting because the, they had never had another person on the, the album before. Uh, they never had had a guest vocalist. And so they allowed her to choose a symbol, like all the members of Led Zeppelin have a symbol that are, is on the album and they allowed her to put a symbol on that album which was a really interesting thing so he said plant stated that for me to sing with sandy denny was great we were always good friends with that period of fairport convention richard thompson is a superlative guitarist sandy and i were friends and it was the most obvious thing to ask her to sing on the battle of evermore if it suffered from naivete and tweeness, I was only 23. It makes up for it in the cohesion of the voices in the plane. Yeah. And I was thinking, you think that that suffered from any naivete and tweeness? Yeah, I think it could. I could, could? think it could be interpreted that way. Really? Yeah. Oh, I love it. I do too. I, so I guess I love tween. Well, I mean, we were younger than them when we first heard it. And, yeah. Uh, so it, I mean, it enters your head at a young age, and you can look back on it. It's like, you know, morning is broken, you know. It's like you can, listen, you can listen to that in retrospect now and kind of think, well, it is kind of a cutesy song. So what, you know? Uh, also, Led Zeppelin holds the honor of being one of the, the albums that I have an actual almost photographic video memory hmm. of uh, this album because... My brother brought it home. He was the one who bought it. Mm -hmm. But I loved the album. And Gary, we always put on music for dinner time. And Gary and I put on the Led Zeppelin album. <laughs> for dinner with your folks? Oh, my Lord. Yes. Oh, my Lord. And I remember very distinctly 
<laughs> my father just looking at us and saying, this is not dinner music. <laughs> and they, uh, you know, it kind of was one of those things where they were just thinking it was, you know, my dad used to have this saying when he would listen to music that he didn't relate to that was in the rock vein. He'd always say it was back to the jungle. <laughs> Oh, and I was thinking, what jungle are you talking about? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so that is my memory of that album, is having that. I wonder whether Gary has that same memory. That's funny. I don't know whether it was him or me that put it on, but we were both rocking out and <laughs> loving it. My parents were, were less mashed, than... Mashed potatoes were flying everywhere around the room. It was... <laughs> They were less than amused. Anyway. Throwing amplifiers out the windows and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. What more is there to say? Well, Henry Henry got to play with this band for the first time in his life, and he got to meet his guitar teacher in person. And this was a big event. I mean, they're packing this kid's life with big events. Yeah. And I think that is exactly what Henry... uh, will thrive on you know and i think he will thrive it's wonderful to watch that creative whirlwind be unleashed uh, unleashed by by true support and and the very best of circumstances yeah and i you know i there that's that's a version of my childhood too that the one thing that i will credit my parents with is that they never ever once tried to squash my creativity you know, they, I'm not sure that they always actively encouraged it. My dad always wanted me to have something to fall back on because, yeah. you know, that was his generational uh, lesson. And he never really had anything to fall back on. And, and so now all that's the things probably, that you would have fallen back on have fallen out of favor, right. too. Yeah, it's true. And uh, He wanted you to become a journalist. He wanted me that. to be a journalist. He <laughs> major in journalism. You know, that way you can get a job when you get out of college. You know, I was like, hey, Dad, I'm not worried about getting a job. I'm worried about living a life like you've been living, where you put all your eggs in one basket and you go for it. And you give it everything you got, you know. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. And the, um, I always thought that a job would be how I pay the rent so that I could keep doing what I want to do. You know, and that's kind of how I live my life. Which is not, if, if, if Henry, if you're listening, <clears throat> that you, the one thing that, that a creative person forgets to think about until perhaps it's too late is what, how are you going, what are you going to retire on? You know, how are you going to, what, what's going to happen when you can't do it anymore uh, to you, especially financially, you know? I would have been fine if Diane hadn't come into my life, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't have been living like this, I can tell you that. <laughs> so uh, creative life has its, has its gives and its takes. And uh, as long as, as we're living in a capitalist state, you're going to have to worry about the, the backside of things as well. So. As all, as all situations have its give and take. Yes. And so. That's true. But man, we live our lives around creative people, and it's the biggest blessing of my life. It is true, and it is a blessing for me too, and it's a blessing uh, to be able to see someone with Henry's talents uh, be pointed in all the right directions. We weren't able to go to this in person. Uh, right. Bill had a couple of appointments, but yeah. um, but it was a, 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 they sent a videotape for a, or not video 
videotape. Oh my God, that's so old. They sent us a digital video. Uh, they sent us a video of it. Yeah. And uh, and we haven't seen the whole thing yet. We've we just got this morning. We've just watched some of the stellar. Some of Henry's finer moments. Yeah. yeah. Just we'd kind of fast forwarded and show. Oh, he's playing there. Let's listen to that. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. So these songs are for Henry and for everybody else too. Yeah.
beam of light took her bow and then she turned to go. The Prince of Peace embraced the gloom and walked the night alone. Doesn't the dark night seem to him more? Dark Lord rides in force tonight and time will tell us Sunlight. 